everyone. Welcome to Novel Finds, the podcast where we talk about our favorite books, your favorite books, and everything in between. Hey, I'm Maggie. And I'm Julia. And we are super, super excited today because we have our very first guest. Yay! Everyone give a huge round of applause for our very first guest, Amy Ellis. I didn't know I was the first guest. Oh my goodness, the pressure. How exciting. We knew... Amy needed to be our first guest because Amy is part of the reason Julie and I even became friends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she also posts like a ton of really cool books on her Instagram all the time. And so oh, I feel God. like a lurker whenever I see it. And I'm just <laughs> like, oh my God, I have that book too. Love it. I love it. You always inspire me. You always post a stack. Like this is, these are the books I'm reading this week. And it's like, seven books. Oh, goodness. Amy, not that my week. hero. <laughs> oh, I had to start doing that so I could focus myself. I had to, I think it's six, six. Did I start with six? And I have to go, I can't read anything else until I read these six because I had so many books. I kept going, not yet. And then when there was nothing else to do in 2020, I decided that was the time. And then I found some really beautiful ones that I had just keep putting, kept putting aside and I it kind of stuck. Either. Amazing. You have a lot of self-control. That is <laughs> No, I literally like when you posted the house in the Cerulean Sea on your Instagram, I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I think I have that. Because like literally the day before I had bought it at Barnes and Noble, but then promptly forgot that I bought it at Barnes and Noble. And then the next week when I was there, I saw the cover again and was like, oh, this looks like a good book and almost bought it a second time. (laughs) It is eye catching for sure. I saw it for a while before and heard about it for a while before I picked it up. I love it. It is the first time that I've reread a book that quickly. So I wanted to really remember is soon like I sobbed through it a second time and probably could have started it a third time immediately after. And I don't reread books because I just feel like there's too many things in the world to read that who's got time to reread. But man, I might have changed my mind. (laughs) When you find a really good book, it's hard to not reread it. And this book today, we're going to kick off by talking about The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Kroon. Amy picked this as her favorite quarantine read. March 2020 through March 2021, essentially. And I have to say, this has got to be one of the most charming books I've ever read in my entire life. I I loved reading it. I absolutely loved reading the whole thing. I agree. Best word for it. It's, it's so wholesome. And then also like just the blurb on the top of it from V.E. Schwab being, I loved it. It is like being wrapped up in a big gay blanket. Simply perfect. <laughs> I was like, Great. I want this gay blanket. Oh, that's funny. I love it. I thought I would um, kick us off with a little synopsis. The House on the Cerulean Sea is about Linus Baker, a solitary government worker who works for Daikami, a department in charge of the care of young magical creatures. His job is to spend one month at an orphanage housing six very peculiar children who have the power to affect humanity and potentially destroy the world. Linus is to make sure the children are stable and properly cared for by Arthur, the caretaker and master of the orphanage. While there, Linus is charmed by both the children and Arthur and must make the decision to follow his heart or continue with his work and proper life in the city. Nice. Thank you. Uh, Do you want to know a fun fact about TJ Klune? Yes, please. Yes. Cool. Great. Outside of the fact that he is known as an LGBTQ plus romance writer and just has won a a Lambda Literary Award for that, uh, on his website, I saw that he has a WIP, which is short for work in progress, uh, that's going to be a book about a dog who wants to be an immortal. (gasps) And so I'm that's, already- that's my fun fact for TJ Clune, which I'm there very ready for. There he is with his dog. He's so cute. He looks so young. He's 38, I believe oh. I read. Really? Good for him. Wow. <laughs> so Amy, tell us about yourself. And when did you become a lifetime reader? I was thinking about the lifetime reader and my journey with books, so to speak, has been extremely sporadic. It's kind of all or nothing. And I think that happens a lot when you're in college, right? If you're not studying literature or 
what you just don't have the time to read. So I did the typical, well, not for y'all because I'm older than you, but early on, you know, Sweet Valley High, there was a cheerleader series, totally into it. Then you get into high school, there's just too much going on. I didn't read a lot in high school, didn't read a lot in college, except when I would go back to my little small town for these long breaks with my parents, I'd go to the library in Shelby, Montana, And check out Stephen King books. And that kind of got me into thriller horror sort of things that I hadn't been into before. And then nothing until tour. And then tour, when you have so much time, just really found my love for reading again and read a ton and then became a mom. So I didn't. And then about a couple of years ago, just like this is crazy. And I just hit it again. So there's been a lot in the last couple of years, but I was just looking at how many books I've read since I started paying attention. I like to write them down. Do you all do that? Yeah. I have. Then you can go back, of course, and see what you read. And so I started again, Christmas vacation right before 2019. And I read 29 books that year. And I thought that was so many. That is, that's a lot. But in 2020, I mean, is that everybody's biggest number? Maybe 65. (gasps) Oh my gosh. I know. I mean, there was what, two months of just not a lot. If you think there's 52 weeks in a year, like you averaged like one and a quarter book every single week, which is awesome. I know. Last year I read 36 books, which I was proud of. And one of my friends read, oh, I'm not going to get the number right, but it's like 113. It's like in the low hundred books. And she is a kindergarten teacher. And I was amazed. Wait, so is she counting those those little books for kindergartners? You know, I don't know. (laughs) I'll be real shady about that. That's true. That's true. Those don't take as long. I would hope not. (laughs) I am not counting my daughter's library books that I read with her. Not counting those. No, can't count those. But you know what kicked it all off for me that sucked me in in 2019 is Bear Town. Do you all know that book? I I've never heard. I of know it. that author, Frederick um, Bachman, right? Yeah, I've read so good. a few of his, and he's a great author. I just yeah, and they're the even title. translated. I think. Yes. Yeah. I don't want to so, say it wrong, but I I think he might be Swedish. Yes. To look it up, someone Google that. Let me see. He is a Swedish columnist and author. He wrote, um, uh, my grandmother asked you to tell you she's sorry. A man called Uva are his big ones. Yeah, he's so good. But Town, check it out. That's what started it all. Sucked me back in. I'll have to, I'm going to quick write that down. Yeah, <laughs> I did too. We may have to have you back on to talk about that. I would, oh, I'd love to reread that one. Um, well, I'm Amy, here for. Yes. tell us. Why is uh, The House in the Cerulean Sea a favorite for you? Oh, goodness. I think what what I like so much about it is just all the characters. There is something so beautiful about every single one. And they're so different. And I mean, we can say they're magical, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's part of the synopsis. Mm -hmm. And um, I love when something is magical because I don't read a lot of fantasy when that's not the point of it, if that makes sense. Like you, you just don't think about the fact that it's, I don't know, a gnome or whatever. It's just who she is, or it's just who they are. And I love that. Like when you said the, um, the blurb on the front about the big gay blanket, I just, Like it didn't even cross my mind that, oh, sure, this could be considered, you know, a gay novel. Like that's just not, they're just these people. And I love every single one of them. Everything's just so natural. It, it, and maybe even people, it's just they're a not normal even a people. story. Like these, these characters are great. I remember like as I was reading when all of them were like suddenly being introduced at the, the orphanage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote a list in the back of the book and just like to keep them straight because after like the type of magical person was described, it wasn't mm-hmm. described again. So I had to go back and be right. like, okay, so this name is this, this type of person. 
Cause it's not what it's about. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's almost like magical realism, but heavy on the realism. They just kind of accept that magical people, or at least in this instance are in this orphanage or walk around them and you don't pay much mind to it, which is mm-hmm. really one of my favorite parts of the book is it's not like focused solely on like picking apart what makes them magical, but rather how they fit into the world around them. Yeah, right. Or what like, makes them different. It's just mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. It, it's like uh, treating them for the person they are inside versus the one they are outside. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And their relationships to each other are so sweet. I mean, these are the type of kids that I just wanted to be around all of the time. They were so protective and sweet with each other. Lucifer easily became my favorite after like all of his responses of just like all of these really dark things coming out of a six-year-old. It just tickled me so much. He became a favorite. I thought you would ask me, you know, what, who was your favorite? And I can't, I can't come up with one. Maybe Sal, just because that poem breaks my heart. Yes. Oh, Julia. Do you have on you? Do you have your notes for people listening? Can you list the? Oh yeah, the yes I children? yes I can. Okay, on the island, there's Theodore who is a wyvern. There's Talia who is a female gnome, which is not uh, very common. I don't think. I think they mentioned that it's not a common yeah. thing. Uh, Sal is a shapeshifter, and when he gets really nervous, he shifts into a terrier. A Pomeranian. Like a tiny dog. Fee is a forest sprite. Chauncey is a blob. They they don't really know. He's a gelatinous blob that is just... Tentacles, yeah? Yeah, Yeah, I think so, yeah. Or eyeballs? Mm -hmm. Definitely eyeballs, definitely tentacles, definitely slimy, but like one of the most like a wholesome character. He wants to be a bellhop. It's his dream. And I'm just like, okay, cool. You be a bellhop, Chauncey. There's Lucifer, who is Lucy. I originally wrote Antichrist in there because that's like how he's described in his paperwork, but then went back and crossed it out because they said they didn't like that word. And so I wrote son of the devil in there. Very symbolic. Linus is the caseworker that goes to the island to check up on all of them. Arthur Parnassus is the master of the house. And then there's also Ms. Chapelwhite, who Zoe, Zoe is her first name, and she is an island sprite. So she basically owns the island that the home is on. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, but Amy, you said no favorite children. You love them all. I don't think so. I mean, if I had to pick, I think I'd pick Sal, but it's hard to choose. They're all it's so endearing. Really hard to choose. And they all have like such distinct personalities. Like they all hit different emotions in you. I don't know if I have a favorite, but I found my heart getting like really excited every time Theodore's name came up. I was like, what's he doing? Is he okay? <laughs> Is he okay? A little, a little flabby guy. <laughs> right. His wings are just too big to for his that. body. Yes. And so he's always tripping over them. It is the cutest. And the fact that he has a, a horde, like a dragon. Yes, so cute. And he has an obsession with buttons. Um, part of his creature's culture is that they like to ask for money when you enter their home. And Linus didn't have any money, so he gave him a button. And it became Theodore's favorite thing. And I just thought that was so sweet. Do you all, I simultaneously want a film made of this so badly and then don't want a film made of this so badly because I want to see it come to life, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I just worry so much that it would take magic away or it just wouldn't look like what, what I wanted it to look like. I have so many concerns because of how peculiar the children are. Mm -hmm. Like, how are they going to portray Chauncey in a way that isn't Right. Sort of like a, a goofy CGI mm-hmm. version of it. I do. I have this mix of like, look at this cover. This would be such a pretty, magical, heartwarming movie. And, and also colorful. And, colorful. Yeah. And I just have this fear of like, can they get 
the six really great child actors to play these roles. Mm-hmm. How is it going to turn out? I'm just not sure. I'm not sure that it would, I'm not sure it would work out. I just feel like books like this, when they become movies are very disappointing. Yeah. I don't yeah, think I'd agreed. want this one to be a movie. Did you have a cast in mind? Were you imagining no. already? Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I def, you know, you definitely picture everybody, but I have a picture of, you know, Linus in my head, but he doesn't look like somebody I know. Yeah. Or an actor. I guess I don't do that when I read. Do you all do that picture? Like, I don't, I definitely don't think of actors as I'm reading when I'm picturing people. It kind of depends on the role. Like sometimes it just comes to me naturally Mm -hmm. where like, I think of the person who would be so great at this role and then I can't separate it. It does. I would say first I think of, I just imagine it in my head. Right. I don't, I don't think I had a cast in mind for this one. Sometimes I do just like, like Maggie, Uh, Mm -hmm. but this one, it was like described well enough to where it didn't need to be a real person. Didn't need to fill in the blanks. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Outfit. I'm thinking of Linus's adventure (gasps) outfit. Right. I immediately, when he put on the outfit, I was like, who's that little kid from up? Russell. Yes. Like who he is right now. Little safari out there, you know, <laughs> yes. like all the khaki and probably had socks pulled up <laughs> and his little hat mm-hmm. scene. I felt like that was the moment. I mean, there were a lot of hints to Linus, like warming up to the kids beforehand. Mm-hmm. But when the kids took him on this adventure through the island, I felt like that was the moment where Linus struggled the most with what he had to do as a mm-hmm. caseworker. Like oh, he yeah. Was really falling in love with the kids. Oh yeah. He, it's so hard because like the company that he works for, Daikomi, sending him because he's like the most distanced and the most like... The rule follower. Yeah. He's right? the rule follower. He he can do all of this stuff without being attached to his cases, but then they send him away. Like the difference is when he was sent to these cases, he always came back, but this one, he's like fully immersed with these these people, they expect him to still like keep his distance. And that's just, that's where I think Daikomi didn't think about it. It didn't Didn't think it through. No. (laughs) It's also impossible at some point to keep your distance. I mean, yeah. Especially when you have to share a meal with everyone. Yes. Like that was really funny to me when he was looking at his surroundings and just like, oh, well, I don't have a kitchen in here. So it looks like I have to eat with everyone else. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's like my thing. Like I live in, in the guest house out back, but I have a sink and a fridge and, and I don't eat down here because I can't really make all that much. So I just eat with the family that I work and live with. And so it was just a very good similarity to me where I was just like, ah, this is fun. I do that too. I mean, it was a room, right? Like a tiny room. It yeah. wasn't luxurious, but you could, when they're talking about the waves and the ocean and yes, you know, wanted to be there the in the garden. Magical. Yeah. How do you all, how do you say it? I could never in my mind decide on how to say the name of that island. Oh, I have no. Oh gosh. Mar- Marcius or Something. Oh, I think I think I went with Marcius. Marcius. I just nothing stuck in my head. I think my brain just like skipped over it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, nope. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. There were enough sort of complicated magical terms that I thought That's true. I was <laughs> wrestling with where I, I didn't really know. I think that one of the reasons why I liked it so much, I'm not a huge fantasy reader like I'll read I can't keep names straight you know you show me the Lord of the Rings and they all sound exactly the same to me I can't do it it doesn't interest me but because the I mean I think technically it's fantasy right because they're not they're magical creatures but they just I don't know it was almost like they were just well they're not even humans people but 
they just could do things that not everybody could do. Does that make sense? It wasn't necessarily, I had no trouble keeping them separate for some reason. And usually high fantasy is really tough. Like if you, uh, I've, there's a few books that I've started of high fantasy where it's just, it's been too late in the evening. And I was like, I can't keep these straight. We're not starting this today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lord of the Rings is impossible. If you actually read the books, kudos to you. I can't get through them. I like The Hobbit. I like The Hobbit. Yes. Yes. I love The Hobbit. Me too. And that was the only one that I, the rest, I, yeah. I didn't realize actually, The Hobbit is technically, I think a middle grade book. (laughs) And I think I read it for the first time when I was like 18 and I felt like I could finally get through it. No, it is. It is. (laughs) I, I taught a summer camp for like struggling uh, readers in Atlanta and the Hobbit was like a book that they had left out on the table just for anyone that wanted to use them. And I was read like, it until I was in my twenties. Yeah, I didn't either. I had tried so many times and it wasn't until I taught those kids that I actually got into the Hobbit. I also think what makes this book different in terms of magic and fantasy is that it feels like a very relevant story. Like I Mm -hmm. feel like a lot of what's going on is I would not even, I would not say it's heavy handed at all, but I would say there's like this undertone of like, this is what's happening in the world right now. Oh, for sure. The way the town views the Island and the children Mm -hmm. is the exact same way that we treat other people in the world, in this country. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that's also what made it not really like a fantasy novel. It was like, this is Mm -hmm. a statement on how we treat people who seem different to us. Like one of my favorite scenes, actually, like it made me cry. This, this book made me cry multiple times and Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen quite often, but it's happened like more often than not recently. The ice cream shop, when the kids go into the ice cream shop, Mm-hmm. And the owner is just very anti-magical child and is trying to mm-hmm. refuse them ice cream. And then someone comes in and stands up for them. That just, I had to stop. I'm like getting emotional right now. It was so good. I was so happy when a normal, per- like normal quote unquote person Human, came in yes. and was just like, hey, these kids want ice cream. Why are you telling them no? Yeah, agreed. I, in fact, it took me a while to even think of that as one of the takeaways, right? Because it wasn't preachy. It wasn't, it just was part, part of it. And then there are so many parallels to our world, mm-hmm. but to almost think of it as not the point of the book, right? But then mm-hmm. it was so relevant. And so to do it in such a poignant way. Absolutely. In that same scene, right? Because For those of you who haven't read the book, the kids have never gone off the island or not since they were at the orphanage. Right. And Linus thinks that it's important to see how they can be with like the rest of humanity for his case study. And that was the saddest part of the book is when people were so horrible to the kids. But also I felt like the best part for Lucy to see him get so excited at the record store. Yes. This tiny six-year-old boy in love with all the oldies. And he really like creates a friendship with the owner of the record store. And I feel like it's such a sign that, yeah, like if you focus on the bad, things are really, really bad. But if you know that there are good people out there, like things have the potential to be better. Mm -hmm. Right. And they meet those awful people, but then they meet the really good ones too. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like J-Bone. J-Bone, is that his name? name. (laughs) And J-Bone, you know, like takes care of the guy that was awful to him. Mm -hmm. And so you see both extremes. Yeah. Immediately you see both ends of the spectrum Mm -hmm. sort of in the record store alone. Right. Right. And then, you see like even right before that when Talia's in the um the home and garden mm-hmm. store where someone like did have a preconceived notion but then slowly changed her mind when they found combined interest like they were right. able to connect so it was oh it's so well crafted like all of the different responses from humans to the 
the other to the children. Absolutely. I would like to kind of move into, are there, I mean, we kind of talked about it, but were there any other moments that really hit home for you, Amy? Hit home? I don't know necessarily about hit home, but I mean, I think if you're using, you know, that phrase, it's definitely any of the diversity and inclusion moments really just felt Mm -hmm. so relevant. And so now as far as moments that just were so well-written that I love so much, it would be when like he goes to see all the rooms, right? Mm -hmm. So he needs to, as part of his job, he needs to see all of the children's rooms. And Sal, the shapeshifter, has the hardest time and he saves his towards the end. And then there's that moment of him helping him move his typewriter. And I loved that scene. Not a ton, but just that little bit of Sal just trusting him that little bit. I just, I guess I just love Sal. He just makes me so like weepy and happy. Yeah. And he has an exceptionally sad story because this. I'm not going to say the number because I don't know it, but he's been to multiple orphanages many because he is so shy. And when he shapeshifts and if he bites someone while he's a dog, they also have the power to turn into a dog. So he can. And isn't he big as a child? He's so he. Yeah, he's like a teenager. I think he I think he's one of the oldest technically. Mm -hmm. And then I really just loved the um, scene too when Arthur brings Linus, the record player, into the guest house. Yes. That was just so sweet. I loved that one too. And such a genius way for them to sort of connect because in the very beginning of the book, Linus is almost like an Eleanor Oliphant character, Mm -hmm. like happy to be alone, likes his cat, likes his records, likes his same outfit every single day. Mm -hmm. And you get that from the beginning. And honestly, I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was just like establishing who his character was. And then when Lucy is also obsessed with the exact same records that he is, I was like, this Mm -hmm. is it. They're going to be friends. Like this is the bonding (laughs) moment. I love that. It was so sweet. I loved how chill Arthur was most of the time. Like just interesting choice of word, Julia. Yes. The demeanor that he had was just, Mm -hmm. it was, it was so calm. So just taking it as it is. And it was like, even if there was a problem, he didn't show the kids. Mm -hmm. And it's just something that I like could really get behind. Cause I feel like at least when I was on the road, I don't know about you guys, but just touring, you kind of had to have that demeanor. You, you had to just take things as they come with 64 children and and hopefully they don't put their costume running under their water while they're trying to wash their hands right there is that part of it isn't there of like working so much with kids and then you can think about you understand how difficult that has to be and he's so patient and so dear with all of them yeah it's definitely a learning curve I think for people that work with kids Yeah. I mean, it's an active choice. It's not like he's just a great person. I mean, he is obviously, (laughs) but also like every day he chooses to be super patient with these kids and to like work to understand them instead of just being judgmental about them. Right. Right. Do you have any favorite lines in the book? We talked about like sections that we really loved the ones that hit home, but are there any lines that really that poem, stuck out? And I don't ask me to read it because I'll sob my face off. Okay. But that poem, y'all can read it. I can even tell you where it is, but, and I don't know if it's giving too much away, but you know, Sal reads that poem in class, mm-hmm. right? And then I'll let y'all decide if it's too much to talk about when it comes back at the end that might be a spoiler but I mean dead done like could can't even but if someone else wants to talk about I am but paper brittle and thin it's on page 133 (laughs) Maggie that's all you if you want to why are you all I'm always I feel like I stumble over words a lot so I'm just gonna let Maggie read that one because it's longer all right fine but if I cry I'm editing it out okay (laughs) that's fair (laughs) That's fair. Sal cleared his throat and began. He said, 
I am but paper, brittle and thin. I am held up to the sun and it shines right through me. I get written on and I can never be used again. These scratches are a history. They're a story. They tell things for others to read, but they only see the words and not what the words are written upon. I am but paper. And though there are many like me, none are exactly the same. I am parched parchment. I have lines. I have holes. Get me wet and I melt. Light me on fire and I burn. Take me in hardened hands and I crumble. I tear. I am but paper, brittle and thin. Mm. Nice work. And listeners must read the book so that when they get to page 378 and know how it comes back in, it's my favorite. Do you have a part that you want to share? So I have a lot of favorite lines in this. And I realized like, because when I highlighted my favorite lines in the night circus, I was able to do it much more easily because I knew what was coming. I knew that I loved this line anyway. Mm -hmm. And so like, I'd been trying to delineate like pink being favorite and yellow being, you know, just stuff that I really like. Mm -hmm. And it was so hard because I hadn't read this book before. And so I didn't know which one would end up being my favorite, but I, I went through all of my highlights earlier and this is one of them that really stuck out. Sometimes Mr. Parnassus said, our prejudices color our thoughts when we least expect them to. If we can recognize that and learn from it, we can become better people. That is a good one. That That is just, it's so nice. And there's so many just little nuggets that Mr. Arthur Parnassus mm-hmm. has where I'm just like, oh, I love him. He's such a you good You know guy. what he says later on the same page, because even the bravest of us can still be afraid sometimes, so long as we don't let our fears become all we know. Yes. Doesn't it sound like yes. I want that tattooed on myself? It's He's so, so wise. Mm-hmm. You know what I really loved because you know, I just don't reread books that much. And so I, and I don't highlight books, but I really wanted to remember so mm-hmm. we could talk about certain parts and things. It's just so well-written because you don't realize on page 50, like, oh, I know what that's going to mean now. There's yes. just these beautiful little, just little hints that mm-hmm. as you're doing the reread, you just get so much more out of it once you know what's going to happen. And I loved it. Like he just said, um, I think you've already given this away, but in page 55, he looks at his first picture of Lucy in the file. Mm-hmm. And it says, attached to the top was a photograph of a young boy of perhaps six or seven years of age. He was smiling rather devilishly. Isn't that so good? It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. There's His all kinds so of... smart. Mm-hmm. He like adds so many hints that you don't even realize were hints until yeah. you read a little bit more. Right. Because it's not in your face. Like you said, it's just so smart. I love it. I'm going to reread this book for years to come. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. This is this made it immediately to like probably top five, if not top three. I agree. I mean, look at, I don't do this to look at the, I have like <laughs> doing my homework. I just love it. This was such an easy book. I mean, half of it. I don't really write thoughtful notes in my margins. A lot of it is just me underlining parts that I liked or like circling Mm -hmm. parts that I liked. But half of this book is just my underlines. And then I draw a little heart next to it. I really loved it. I would Last. love to know when you reread, do a tally. Let's see how yes. many hearts you four hundred and <laughs> we'll start doing our book rankings based on the hearts Maggie has. Perfect. There you go. That's great. How many hearts did this book earn? Right. <laughs> I do a it's lot good. of writing LOL exclamation point in stuff. Do you all write in your books all the time when you read them or just ones that you are especially um, just ones that I'm that start hitting me. And even then I haven't like written in a book since like college, since I like needed to remind myself of things. Mm-hmm. Even then I really only make notes of certain sections I liked. I used to vehemently oppose writing in books, Mm -hmm. but then I had a really hard time finding the sections that I was referencing in my notes. And so then I was like, eh, all right, here we are. Gonna do it now. Gonna do it. They're meant to be used. Mm -hmm. I hadn't written or even highlighted in a book for a long time, maybe since college until I read Untamed. And then I was like, oh, I want, yep, I want to, yep, I want to remember that. (laughs) That. 
I mean, every single line of that book is like something you can glean for your life. Right. You can put it on your wall or you can put it on a coffee mug or a t-shirt. Like it's just all important. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Final thoughts. Does anybody have anything they want to add before we wrap up Cerulean Sea and move on to Amy's all-time favorite book? I think my final thought is just, you know, read The House in the Cerulean Sea. Just, just read it. Like, it's so good. I agree. Our conversation cannot do justice what you will feel. No. Um, when I was thinking about biggest takeaway, it was, it was kind of exactly that, like not being afraid to feel the big feelings, you know, Linus, he was just so scared, right? Like you thought he was a rule follower and liked to be by himself, but he was just scared. I think he's so anxious. 100%. It is so hard to take a risk, especially when he's working at a job that requires him to sort of be numb to like keep a shield up. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. But when you take the risk, a lot of times great things happen. I agree. Here's our takeaway. That is a good takeaway. Amy, do you have, for people that have read the Cerulean Sea, do you have like a book recommendation that you would throw at someone? It's a great question. And I don't think I have anything that it reminds me of because, I mean, I think the closest thing only that kind of jumped in my mind. And it's only because we're talking about, um, you know, extraordinary children, you know, or Mm -hmm. children that maybe are misunderstood. Mm -hmm. That one that came to my mind is um, the extraordinary life of Sam Hell. Oh, that's a good, yeah. And it's not fantasy, but um, at all, but it's definitely a misunderstood child because he's different and it has a little bit of that. I adored that book. I thought it was, that's by Robert Dugoni. I don't know if that's correct. Sorry, Robert. D-U-G-O-N-I. What about you, Maggie? I want to recommend All the Light We Cannot See. Um, been on my list forever. Specifically because of how lovely the writing is. It reminded me a lot of the way TJ Klune writes. Mm-hmm. The plots are very different, um, but the writing style is very similar. So that would be my recommendation. What about you, Julia? I think I would recommend probably Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. It has the same vein of, you know, peculiar children. Sure. Um, (laughs) It's been a very long time since I've read that book. And I remember thinking about it, like it popped into my head when I was reading it at one point, and then it, I didn't write it down. It wasn't until you and I were talking earlier, Maggie, where it like came back. So (laughs) no, that's a good one too. I have not read that book, but I've seen the movie and I can attest that it is about peculiar children. All right. We are going to segue into Amy's all-time favorite book, and that is A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving. I'm going to quick hit us up with a little synopsis. A Prayer for Owen Meany follows the friendship of Johnny and Owen in New England, America. Owen believes that he is God's instrument, and even after he accidentally kills Johnny's mother with a baseball, knows that it was simply meant to be. Their friendship is tested during the Vietnam War and Owen's dream of his impending death. This book is critically acclaimed and considered a great example of life in America during the 1960s and 70s. Want a fun fact about this one? Sure do. Awesome. I'm just going to come in all the time. Those fun facts. Um, Outside of the fact that John Irving also has a Lambda Literary Award, but for a different book, um, which I didn't write the title down. I just know that fact. Owen Meany is his best, like all-time best-selling novel. He has like in the high teens a bunch of other books, but this is the best-selling and it came out in 1989. Yeah, I was looking this book up and there are a lot of play adaptations that Mm -hmm. like Yale students have done for their senior showcase. Mm -hmm. Like nothing that's been on Broadway, but like small play adaptations of this book which I thought was like a super cool yeah and there's a movie adaptation too called Simon Birch 
Um, <laughs> no, don't watch it. Don't. So they had to change the title from Owen Meany to Simon Birch because there were so many differences between it. But according to Wikipedia, John Irving has gone on record saying he did enjoy the movie, even though it was different from his book. He probably separated it enough, right? Right. He's like, this isn't anything about my book. <laughs> it's nothing about it. They have like, you know, Owen Meany is a very small person and that Simon Birch is a very small person. Oh, okay. Good to know. First of all, it's really hard to ask somebody their all-time favorite book. No, it's <laughs> yes, easy it to ask them. It's hard to answer it. I was asking my husband, my best friend, what's my all-time favorite book? <laughs> I don't know. And I think the lesson that I've learned is it changes and it's okay to change. I was super happy to come back and reread this book. In fact, I had just, I mean, I have a very worn copy. Oh, yes. I have a very worn copy, but it was on Apple Books for like $1.99 a couple months ago. And I bought it and downloaded it. So I always had it for when, if we travel again. So I would always have something if I ran out of things to read, to read. So I kind of had a plan of rereading it and then did. And it so different than what I remembered. <laughs> yes. Parts of it for sure the same. Owen's the same, you know, that I love that character. But John Irving, who, I mean, I would say, like, I own all of his books. I've read all of his books. I've enjoyed all of them. And I was like, does he really use this many words? It was taken me a long, (laughs) long time to get into what I remembered of the story. Yes. Like, peace and love to you, John Irving. But so many words. And I found it super interesting because I had just tried to read one of his newer books. And I was like, why is it? And then I remembered, like, I guess it just didn't bother me because I had nothing but time on the road. I read all of his books on the road and I had nothing but time. So it was definitely different for me this time around. Yeah. I was going to say this one on the vein of there, he just has a lot of words. It was hard Mm -hmm. to, to get through. When I was riding in the car on the way to Yosemite, I had the book with me and realized after an hour and a half, I had only gone 40 pages and I feel like I'm a moderately fast reader. So that mm-hmm. was, it was tough. Especially at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially at the beginning. It's a lot of exposition, but would you say it's still a favorite? Maybe not your all time favorite anymore. I would say that Owen Meany is still one of my all time favorite characters. Okay. And I really like um, how he wrote him and the, all capital letters. I mm-hmm. I love that to show his voice, you know, because he's always yelling. He has the high yes. pitched. He's mm-hmm. always yelling. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really clever. And there's different scenes. And I love how it all comes together at the end. How Oh, is that a spoiler? This is an old book. It it's an old matter. book. It's from 89. You can go yeah. ahead and spoil. And so that all of these things that have happened in his life, he has always believed there's a reason, whether it's you know, he believes, what did the synopsis say? He's an instrument of God. And whether it's that or not, you do find at the end that they really did all have a point. And I love it when things wrap up. Yes. So I did really love the end, but y'all did you, was your mind blown? Because my, what, what did you say? 1989, this book was read, written, Uh Yeah. Yeah. Towards the very end. And he's talking about, he is going off about where the country is headed. Do you Mm -hmm. remember reading this? Yeah. And he says, you want to see a president of the future turn on any television. Mm -hmm. And if you want to see the future of all the kids who are going to fall in the cracks of this great big sloppy society, I just met him, a skinny 15-year-old boy. He's pretty scary. What's wrong with him is not unlike what's wrong with the TV evangelist, our future president. What's wrong with both of them is that they're so sure they're right. That's pretty scary. The future, I think, is pretty scary. That is some foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. John Irving, what did you know? I mean, that just set me back in my tracks. 
1989. That is actually like a really interesting thing that a lot of science fiction writers employed. Like, you know how there's there's books that like seemingly predict the future that's happening now, but mm-hmm. it's really just stuff that they're already observing in society, but inflating right. it. And right. so the, obviously that had already started happening by 89. And so it was published in 89, but the setting is in like the 60s, the 50s and 60s. Right. So in a way, yeah. Something that I read I thought was so interesting is he, it's John Irving's favorite first line of any of his books. Really? And he never writes the first line until he knows how the book is going to end. That's very interesting. Well, Amy, do you have the book on you? Will you read us the first line? I will. If I can read these small, (laughs) tiny pages. Okay. It says, I am doomed to remember a boy with a wrecked voice, not because of his voice or because he was the smallest person I ever knew, or even because he was the instrument of my mother's death, but because he is the reason I believe in God. I am a Christian because of Owen Meany. John Irving's favorite first line of any of his books. That's very interesting. I haven't read anything else by John Irving, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, World According to Garp is probably one of his biggest ones. But I mean, I'll be, I mean, I would say that he was one of my favorites, right? I don't know. I don't know if that's true. (laughs) I'll have to try another one again and see. Yeah, have to let us know. Maybe it's just not a style that I like as much now. But I have a lot of friends who adore this book. And I asked all of all of them if they had reread it. And nobody had. Everybody reread it. I want to know what, what you I, all think now. I would be curious. I think sometimes that's like the danger of rereading a new book or a favorite mm-hmm. book is eventually, like eventually it's just not anymore. Like we mm-hmm. grow and we change. We're interested in different books. My favorite book for like three years was The Fault in Our Stars. I can't say it's my favorite book right. anymore. You know? Right, right. Yeah, it's so true. Your tastes just change or you grow. Mm-hmm. Did you all start reading it and go, what were we thinking? <laughs> Having her as our first guest. No, I started reading it and was like, I'm very interested to know why this is Amy's favorite book. <laughs> Because it just, I I wasn't surprised with Cerulean Sea just because like right. it's it's very bubbly. It's very like quick and and fun and everything. And then we get to mm-hmm. Owen Meany and it's just, it's so heavy and it hits you. And I was just like, right. oh, I was not expecting this, but all right, we're here now. Let's do it. Neither was I, to be completely honest. <laughs> Neither was I. One of my other big authors kind of at the same time, you know, when I first started really reading again as a, I don't know, a 20 something, right? Mm-hmm. Probably was Tom Robbins. Oh, And yeah. now I need to go back. I'm a little scared. I'm going to have to pick one of his and go back and reread it. He was so funny though, that I don't, but I'm going to see and hopefully not be disappointed. Hopefully. <laughs> I know I have to get on my soapbox here, you guys. I'm taking it out. I'm standing on it because I hate quitting books. I don't oh, like me to consider myself a book quitter, mm-hmm. but I think there are times when like you and a book just don't get along and mm-hmm. I'm not in school anymore. So I'm like trying to accept the fact that it's okay for me to quit a book. Right. And I felt bad because I respect you so much and you are my friend. And I looked up this book and it has such good reviews on Goodreads, but I couldn't. I only got to page 67, Amy. I'm very sorry. <laughs> wow. I'm very sorry. And for all of you out there, I'm very sorry, but I do. It's I fine, think at Maggie. some point it's got to be okay to quit books. There are so many books out there. And if you mm-hmm. try so hard to power through one that you just don't like very much, then you're just losing time on a book that yeah. you could be enjoying. And I do. My think husband like, says that all the time. Yeah. It's like, how's your book? I'm like, uh, it's fine. It's like, reading it next. Well, you gotta, yeah. you gotta know the ending, right? There, there's only a handful of books that I have ever quit. And most of the time they had a reason but one of them, it was laundry day and someone had left um, a book that I was interested in reading and I had one that I wasn't interested in. Uh, I traded it. I left the book I wasn't interested in in a laundromat in North Dakota. No, Wisconsin. <laughs> and, Things and took you would the one not that was do left there. now. 
mm-hmm. take a random book. Yep. Oh, Maggie, I feel like I've let you down. No, you did not let me down because Amy, I purchased the House of the Cerulean Sea because of you. Okay. You purchased this book and you posted about it. And then I went and purchased it. And there are many more books that you have posted. And then I went out and purchased and I loved them. So do not feel like you let me down. Do not. I'm going to have to go back at some point. I mean, right now I'm like, after rereading two books, you know, I'm like, I got a stack to get going <laughs> on, but I'm going to have to, I like the idea of every couple of months or a couple, at least a couple of year rereading some that were your favorites. And I'm going to have to do that with a couple more that were kind of in my head. And then if they were, if they're still there. Mm-hmm. That happened to me not too long ago, though, with The Alienist, Caleb Carr. Do y'all know that book? Oh, I didn't realize yeah. it was a book. I've seen the show. Loved it. Loved it. My friend got me a signed copy for my birthday because I loved it so much. Oh, my gosh. And then I bought it for my mother-in-law, who is an English teacher. So we like to talk books. And she I was like, do you love it? She's like, no, I don't know. I don't. So then I reread it and I was like, oh, no, I, I don't really either. So now I'm just worried that anything I read more than five years ago, I'm just not going to like anymore. No, I think that it just gives you an opportunity to look at the growth that you've made. Like it, it doesn't disvalue like the way that like you still liked it at one point in your life and now you've just moved right. into a different part. And so maybe it, it was a favorite book when you were going through this. And now that you've kind of shifted into sure. a different area, it's still disappointing, but I'm trying to make it nicer. Different phases of your life, you need different things, right? Or you react to different things, Mm -hmm. different ways. That's very true. I still feel bad. No, (laughs) don't feel bad, Amy. But Amy, do you have any final thoughts you would like to give us on Owen Meany? Final thoughts. I think my final thought on Owen Meany is if you have time, it's worth it to read. But I think what I need to do is find where the action starts for Maggie and give her <laughs> give me a page <laughs> number to just start read on. this little chunk. And so you can see why I love Owen. No matter how I feel about the entire book, Owen is still very, very dear and a very interesting character. There's some really great scenes with him and their friendship is really sweet and really special, the two boys. So there's still a lot of really great parts. It just takes a long time to get there. Okay. I would say it took me until about page 80 to really like get into the swing of the book. And even then it's, it's taken (laughs) a long time, but you know, it's, they have a very funny relationship. I love that Owen loves Liberace. It's so true. It's so true. There's some real gems. Don't give up on your old favorites. There's my words of wisdom. That's some good wisdom that we'll leave our, (laughs) our listeners with. Well, we heckin' did it guys. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Amy Ellis, for joining. Another small round of applause. If you like what you heard and want more content just like it, subscribe to our Patreon. You get a peek at our book notes, and each month we have a super fun, extra special episode about the novel finds we are currently reading. We will also do a monthly Q&A session where we answer your questions. Ask us anything. Feel free to email us your questions at novelfindspodcast at gmail.com. You can also submit your questions on our Patreon. If you need more bookish content in your life, you can also follow us on Instagram at Novel Finds Podcast. Our email, Patreon, and Instagram handle can be found in our bio. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you all in two weeks. Bye.